Hello everyone, nice to be here. Uh, my name's Stuart and uh, I usually attend 844. Occasionally I go to all three services when I'm preaching, so it's nice to be at this one again. Uh, last week, if you were here, you would have heard Michael open up the beginning of Romans 8 for us with those wonderful verses. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Just wonderful news, isn't it? We've been justified by God. At one moment in time, God came into our lives and changed us forever. He made us righteous. When God looks at us now, he sees us through the character of Jesus and he sees a righteous person. He says, come into my heaven because not of your good works, because what Jesus has done for you in dying for you and taking away your sins. Then he speaks about that process of then becoming children of God and what that means. And as children, of course, we need to grow in our relationship to God to get to know him uh, clearer and dearer. And so that process of sanctification begins. We become more and more Christ-like. We're called uh, children of God. We've gained access to our Heavenly Father. Uh, We can call him by that intimate name of Daddy and... uh, we can be the people that God wants us to be. Well, that's a great picture for us in the beginning section of Romans chapter 8. And today, we want to go on from that and look at uh, what Paul has to say next. Because what he does now is he takes us back to the world in which we live. You know that world all too well, don't you? Uh, the world where sickness lingers and beauty fades and good things decay. And death comes. It's a world where we struggle with sin. Even though sin's been defeated on the cross, we know we still struggle with it. Well, what do we do with that in the day-to-day grind of living in a Christian in a fallen world? That's where we're going today, and I might pray for us as we begin this passage. Heavenly Father, please open our hearts and our eyes to see your word, to respond to it with great gratitude and thanksgiving for liberating us and bringing us to know you. And we thank you, Father, for that process you take us on. We pray we might understand more of what's in store for us in that journey. Amen. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, please keep them there because that's what we're going to be looking at, uh, this section from Romans. And I won't be putting up uh, any verses on the screen, so we'll just work through it uh, from our Bibles. In the last week, have you ever told a lie? In the first congregation this morning, I gave an example of that. I talked about the fact that uh, at school I told a lie to a teacher and I looked up and saw two teachers from school who were here. (laughs) I thought they'll know who it is now. I'm in strife. But I did. Someone asked me for a lift and I said, I can't do that today, but I could have. I chose not to. Do you gossip? Do you hear things that you can't wait to tell other people about? Sometimes you share them as prayer points in life group and you can get away with it. But sometimes we gossip just to big note ourselves and to say, I know more than you. I'm the centre of this place. I'm in control of things. How about stealing? Have you ever been tempted at these self-serve checkouts to take something? It's so easy, isn't it? so easy to get away with it, especially after you've had that problem with the um, 
you know, too many things in the uh, in the area. What do you call that? Come in what it's called the bagging area. That's right. And the assistants come over three times, and uh, in the end, you just say, I, I don't care. I'm I'm out of here. And then you realise when you get home that you've actually taken quite a few things that you hadn't paid for. And you go, oh, okay, maybe next time I'll pay more. In this section, Paul writes to us who are like that. In this paradox of life in which we find ourselves, we want to live holy lives, we want to be good Christians, be faithful to God, but we keep on being drawn back into that old way of living. We live constantly in this state of tension between grace and, whoops, Grace and sin. Grace, God's unfavoured love towards us. We know he loves us and yet we still sin. And there's this war going on. Who's who's going to win this tension that we have? And Paul says, look, rather than constantly fighting against it and getting all your knickers in a knot, uh, just come to a realisation that that's the way it is. This battle, this great war between the spirit and the flesh is not going to be over in your lifetime win the skirmishes, but the battle has already been won for you. The war's been won, but the battle, you're going to have to keep on fighting. Uh, I remember a group at university, there was a group called the Sinless Perfection Society, and they said to recent Christians that you could win the battle. You could be a person who could become perfect in this life. You know what it did? It sent a lot of good Christians completely the opposite way. They didn't want to be Christians anymore because it was just too hard. They thought they could win the battle, but you can't. They didn't face up to the reality. And Paul's saying, look, I want you to face up to the reality of what it's like being a Christian. So let's read through the passage and see what it has to say. Let's start with verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Now, the sufferings that Paul talks about here, I don't think are the sufferings that uh, come our way through disobedient children or obnoxious parents or bad health or financial difficulties, things like that. That might be part of it, but I think it's more than that. It's the sufferings that come about because of our faith. And again, it's not because we're being persecuted for our faith or being mocked because we hold to a certain point of view that society doesn't hold anymore. It's just a day-to-day struggle caused by this tension between spirit and the flesh. That's where we struggle. We try to be faithful followers of Jesus, but we constantly fall short of what God wants us to be. Paul's saying, look, it may be hard. It may be difficult, this constant tension in our lives, but it's all worth it when we think of the coming glory to come. Lift your eyes up, look to the future and see what awaits you. Sounds like my dentist. He's always saying when I go there and he's doing a test, he says, hang in there, it won't be long. Well, I know he's a liar because it always is long and it always hurts. To encourage us in in this section, Paul goes on. He wants to unravel it for us and tell us about creation and how we're not alone in this struggle. So let's read verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Um, Creation joins in this struggle. It's, it's like a play. We're the actors and creation is the audience watching us in this struggle as we wait eagerly for a happy ending. So here's a real encouragement for us. It's not just us as individuals. It's not just us as a church. But it's the whole of the created order that's struggling and waiting and groaning for uh, our true natures to be revealed. 
You see, we are God's children. That's a fact. We were told that at the beginning of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. But now we're told that our true nature of God's children will be revealed so that all of creation can see. I, I couldn't find an adequate photo, but this is near enough. Our becoming what God intended us to be in the first place. Be more and more like the person of Jesus. Paul tells us that just as we struggle between the spirit and the flesh, so the whole of creation struggles too. It's not just us. It struggles as well. And the reason given is in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its choice, but by the will of him who subjected it. Uh, God subjected creation to be the way it is because of Adam's sin. You know, when Adam and Eve and the snake uh, faced up to the consequences of what they did in, in taking that fruit and being tempting people to take that fruit, the repercussions were enormous. It wasn't just for Adam and Eve, it was for the whole of creation. Creation was made futile. It doesn't work as it's supposed to work. I don't know if any of you are keen lawn bowlers here. Not yet. Maybe later on. Have you been barefoot bowling? No, a couple of you have done that. Um, if you've been barefoot bowling, someone usually tells you how to bowl the bowling ball because you look pretty foolish if you don't know. Um, I, I used to take the kids bowling out at Camden. Um, these are teenagers who weren't listening, of course, to the instructions. And so when they bowled the ball, they held it straight and the jack was up there and they bowled it straight. And, of course, the ball went that way. Because of the bias in the ball, it's, you know, it's meant to go out there and then curve back in. But they didn't realise that and so they went there. And of course, if they had any notion at all and they bowled it that way but the bias was the wrong way, then it kept on going over there and it, it hit other balls and greens as it was kept on going that way. And creation is like that. It's heading in that direction but it's, it's off kilter. We see that in our world. Jeff's just flown in, just escaped a typhoon. America's got a hurricane, same thing. Uh, we, we, we have all these things that are happening in our world. And creation is beautiful, but it's also a bit scary at times, isn't it? And creation is groaning, waiting with us for God to achieve his purposes. So you see, salvation is not just for humanity. It's a cosmological picture here. It's for the entire created order. Let's have a look at verse 20 to 23 again. I'll read, read it again. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yes, there is a tension, Paul's saying, but it will be over soon. You're not alone. The whole of creation waits for its renewal and your body will be redeemed. You end up with that resurrected body like Jesus, but at the moment... It's like a, a, a lady going through childbirth. Once the labour pains come on and they're real labour pains, so the process goes on to an end result. And we're in that time of labour. 
and we wait, and we wait patiently. It's good news, isn't it, for those of us who are struggling with sin when we do things wrong, to know that we're not alone. The whole of creation is struggling with that same issue. And so Paul is able to make this definite statement in verse 24. For in this hope, we were saved. Our salvation is something to be hoped for because it hasn't fully been revealed yet. Yes, we are children of God. But the watching world hasn't seen that. And creation hasn't seen that yet. But one day, as we progress, the watching world and creation will see the fact that we are saved and we are redeemed and that we become the people we're supposed to be. Here's the pivotal verse in this passage. It's verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. So we hope and we wait. Can you follow the story so far? There is a tension between flesh and the spirit. There is this tension, I, I want to do this thing, but I don't do it, and I do the thing that I don't want to do. And I groan in that experience. It is a battle, this sin business. Um, I sin, I ask for forgiveness, I try a little harder, I last a little longer, but then I sin again. But Paul is saying to us, yes, we experience frustration in this battle. We want to get out of this sin, repentance and forgiveness cycle, but don't beat yourself up over it part of a far bigger picture and Paul says in our current situation what we need is patience there's a great freedom in that because so often when we sin we ask for forgiveness but we still feel terribly guilty about that and sometimes the guilt can take us so far down into depression that we feel as though God doesn't love us anymore or that Satan is winning and we are losing in this battle the tension is very real. Sometimes we get things right and sometimes we get them terribly wrong, but that's just reality. That's the way it is. That's our common situation. And we just need to wait patiently. Here's the big difference, I think, between Christianity and other religions, other major religions. Muslim, Hindu, um, Buddhism. It's like being at the bottom of a well and the... Um, the God or the Guru or whoever it is, the Prophet tells us, if you want to achieve perfection, if you want to achieve Nirvana or, or whatever you're after, you've got to look at the steps to take to climb out of the well. What Paul's saying here is, no, don't do that. Look at the top. Look at what's been done for you. Look where you're going. Look at life from a different perspective and see that God has done it all for you. And uh, it frees us up from all those rules and regulations. We don't have to fast or meditate or go on pilgrimage. We don't have to worry about all the good works we need to do to get right with God. We know that faith is what has been given to us. We are not condemned and that we are growing in that process of becoming more like Jesus. We don't look at ourselves from where we are now. We look at ourselves from where we are going. We lift up our eyes to the end point our perspective changes my true reality as I look upwards is that I'm a glorious child of God I'm redeemed in love that's my true nature it just hasn't been revealed to everyone yet I will fail I will sin 
I won't be self-disciplined in what I read and watch and think and do, but I'm not defined by my failures, am I? I'm a child of God, and my failures and my weaknesses are just a temporary state of being whilst I wait patiently. And this hope that we have is not like I hope it rains soon. We're not defined by our current weaknesses, you know, the drought in our own lives, but by our future promised glory. That's our hope. Ultimately, if you're a glorious child of God, you're not a failure. And the more the grasp hold of this truth, the, the more you actually become what God wants you to be. And so you, be, you become what you hope for. You begin to win those skirmishes and those times between uh, doing things that are wrong and the next time become lengthier. Occasionally they become good, but on the whole they become lengthier as you go through life. And so we live in our present frustrating experience with patience and hope and not with self-loathing and despair. And as we do that, we gain ever-increasing awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the access we have to that Spirit to help us in this struggle. Have a look at verse 26 with me. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groans and words that cannot express. In our weakness, we don't even know what to pray for at times, do we? Sometimes we go to bed to pray and we fall asleep. And sometimes we try to think of all the things we need to pray for and it's just all too much. And the weight of responsibility of praying for everyone and not missing out anybody, and we think, I just give up. And Paul says, don't be like that. Because the Spirit will intercede for you. When we look at life and we look at ourselves and we look at the world around us, we look at our friends' marriages tearing apart or an ongoing family sickness. We see our own failings and our own anxiety and our fears. And we say, God, help me. I don't even know where to start, let alone what to pray. And God says, that's okay. You don't, you don't need to know where to start. The Spirit will intercede for you. The Spirit will take the words you can't even form in your mind and will take them before the Father. You don't need to select the right topics. You don't need to feel the weight of responsibility because God's Spirit will guide you in this. In our frailty, we just need to sit in silence sometimes. Take a few deep breaths. Let the Spirit do the interceding for us. And I think that's a very liberating aspect of the Spirit's work in our world. So often we equate the Spirit with experience, don't we? Um, remember Paul's writing in Corinth here. This was the church where they spoke in tongues in church. This was a loud, brash, hyped-up church where experience was equated with the Spirit's presence. And Paul writing there to the Christians in Rome says, no, well, sometimes the reverse is true. Sometimes it's just sitting in the silence of gaining an awareness of our own weakness and inability to pray. That's when the Spirit works in our lives. And again, I think it's a very affirming idea. And so in our weakness and our frailty and our failings, nothing is wasted. Nothing is futile. Paul reminds us in verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Very misquoted verse. Have you heard non-Christians quote that to you? All things work for good. Don't worry. 
It's like a Christian view of karma, isn't it? You know, the good and the bad balance out. Well, I leave out the bit about, you know, all things work for the good of those who love God. And sometimes even Christians use this verse in a way that can hurt because they just haven't really thought through um, what they're saying. When something happens to you and you're in terrible pain and anguish over something and someone just quotes a verse over your head like this, it says, don't worry, in all things God works for the good. You can't see the good, can you? You just, you just, don't, you just can't see anything like that. And sometimes we just need to wait before we, we put this perspective before people. What Paul is saying here is that when we look back at the whole tapestry of life, there's a tapestry, we can see that everything has contributed towards our good. It doesn't mean that every thread in the tapestry is good. Sometimes those threads are very bad. But in the totality of life, the tapestry is good. Paul goes on to uh, tell us more about this in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Our aim in life is to be conformed through the Spirit, to be like the person of Jesus, to be conformed to his likeness and to be transformed so that in the end we might be glorified. And creation applauds when that happens. So all the good that happens, all the bad, when you pull all the threads of the tapestry together, that's the picture of us growing more like Jesus in thought and character. And sometimes that can be hard and sometimes it doesn't feel good, but it is for our good. And Paul wants us to shout this, uh, this idea from the rooftops. And so he says, look, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a victory celebration. But the answer is not no one, is it? That's not the answer he's looking for because we know in reality that things go wrong in our lives. Often, and often circumstances are overwhelming. That's really more a picture of comparison. Paul's point is saying, compared to the obstacles in life and Satan laughing at you, it's nothing compared to God's love for you and God's care for you and your glorious future. So he goes on and says, Who will bring any charge against those that God has chosen? Verse 34, Who is it that condemns? No attempt of Satan telling us we're failures and don't deserve to be called children of God. No bit of circumstances of life can ever be enough to separate us from the love of God. And don't let Satan say that to you, that you're not good enough to be called a child of God. Verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Why? Because of him who loved us, sent his son to die for us. Nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. That's the great glory of the Christian message. We might live in a time of tension. We might be weak. Our prayer life and our Bible reading might be rubbish. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. Have you heard it? Just the one point I want to make tonight. We live in this tension. Accept the frustration of failing to live up to God's standards. Don't be anxious. Don't come down on yourself. You've got a glorious future that no one can take away from you. You have been saved, full stop. 
Your hope now is in the revealing of that fact in the future. And the great thing is we're told that in the light of that hope, the more we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus, the more we become the person God intended us to be. It's like that tapestry, isn't it? So often we look at the tapestry of life underneath and we see all the threads all over the place. It doesn't make any sense. Turn it over, same tapestry. God sees the big picture. God sees where it's going. He's controlling our life. He knows what's good for us. We are children of God and we have a wonderful future before us to be conformed to the image of the resurrected and glorified Jesus. Why don't we pray? And if you've got any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've told us tonight. We pray that as children of God, we might be those who just rejoice in the fact that you've called us to know you. And we thank you that uh, we now are on this road of becoming more like Jesus in character. And as we do that, we pray that people might be drawn to us because what they see in us is you. We think of those disciples in the early church where the religious leaders perceived that they had been with Jesus, even though Jesus had been uh, uh, crucified and ascended. Father, please help us to be the people of God and share in that uh, wonderful program of becoming like Jesus. Amen. Questions?